This is the Athlete Mindset Podcast, hosted by Lisa Bontesumi, and it's all about mental health in sports. This podcast is presented and produced by Sports Epreneur, part of the CADSource Network. This podcast series is a space for conversations with athletes, coaches, practitioners, and stakeholders in sports. And it's where those individuals share their perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on mental health in sports. I am Eric Kazmov, the founder of CADSource and the creator of Sports Epreneur. And we're hosting the Athlete Mindset Podcast on this platform as I deeply believe these conversations are essential and deserve to be prioritized. If you would like to be featured on this show or one of our many other shows, or if you are looking to create your own content, please reach out to us. You can find us at sportse.io or you can connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Lisa Bontasumi is a psychotherapist and mental performance consultant to high-performing athletes at the youth, collegiate, and professional levels. She's the first ever mental health and performance coach for Oakland Roots SC, a men's professional soccer team in the USL. Lisa is the founder and CEO of Ath Mindset, and she's the host of this podcast, Athlete Mindset. Today, I'm so excited on the Athlete Mindset Podcast to have who's become a dear friend, Kim Brady. She is a small business consultant. She is an athlete transition coach and a published author. So welcome and thanks for being here with me. Oh, it's so nice to see your face. I know no one else can see us and that's (laughs) fine, but you and I have made multiple attempts to truly hug each other and see each other in person and life has occurred. And so being able to see you and, you know, talking with World Cup in the middle of the night, (laughs) you know, talking about all the things mental health, I'm just thrilled to be here. I appreciate it. That will come too. That hug will come in real life. I know it. I know it. I know it. So when you call yourself or of your many multiple talents and identities, a small business consultant, what does that mean? I specialize in the underdog. Hmm. I specialize in helping people who are budding entrepreneurs, the ones who have the seed planted but are too fearful to go out on their own, Mm -hmm. all the way to those that are maybe a year in business, two years in business, five years in business, and they're still wearing all the hats. They're like, oh my gosh, I decided to go after this idea of mine and I didn't realize how hard this is. Entrepreneurship is hard. You're a business owner as well. And entrepreneurship is a marathon. It's not a sprint, even Uh though every day you feel like you're sprinting. But the whole thing is a marathon. And so the small business consultant is I specialize in service-based, community-based leaders who want to become better and put their dreams out there. And I want to help them in that. That's I love it. That's I I love it. I love it. I love it. And I know you do because your heart is out there and you have really good intentions. On my sleeve. Yep. Your passion (laughs) is there. What are the top three things when someone is working on their business, whether it's at that stage that you described at the beginning or all the way, what are the top three things you want them to always remember or keep top of mind? That they didn't go into business to be short term. Mm. I had a really good meeting with someone yesterday. He's established. He's an attorney. He's going to be going on his own. He's leaving Uh the ship that he's in, right? Uh And he's Uh going on his own. And he's very business savvy. And the thing is, I said, well, you have to remember why you're going into business, but that how can you exit later from this chapter? So being in the present moment and solving the short term 
always with the presence of mind of the long-term succession plan. Most entrepreneurs get so focused on what they have to do every day that they forget why they went into business to begin with. Because when things get really hard, when they will, not if, sometimes we forget what our dreams were in the beginning. Same thing with athletes. Why did we do this? We're burning all these things, right? That's right. And so I think that one's a big one. How do you stay present and future-oriented at the same time? Uh How do you ask for help and ask from people who can help you? Uh Your friends and family love you, but they may not be the ones who can help you Uh because they haven't stepped foot into business ownership per se. It's like a parent trying to help their child through a process and wanting to prevent them from falling and scraping their knees. Instead, you have to let that kiddo fall and fall and scrape their knees and maybe they learn how to get up and they ask someone else for help. It's how do you launch yes. the kiddo? It's the same thing in business. You have to be around other entrepreneurs. You have to make sure that you are not by yourself and that you're seeking advice from people who can see you in your processes. I wouldn't be where I am without my coaches and business coaches and other mentors and supporters like yourself. Oh, yes. So my takeaway there is, which are total gems, remember why you've entered into business and keep Mm -hmm. that forefront, especially when you face adversity Mm -hmm. and surround yourself with a team. Don't ever do it alone. People who got your back, people who support you. I think those are really, really valuable. And you referenced, you know, just like an athlete. So the athlete transition coach, I'm hearing already some similar transferable kind of language. I know you have a different opinion on how to define transferable, so I'd love to hear it. But how has your role and identity as a small business consultant inform your ability to be an athlete transition coach, including the fact that you were a D1 soccer player at Cal? Go Bears. Go Bears. There we go. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Did I tell you my dad's a graduate of, of Cal? Yes, ma'am. Okay, I had to. Okay, anyways. You got a little um, blue and gold in you. Yeah, now everybody else knows. Okay, yes. right. go. Little, yes. A little blue and gold in you. Yes. yes. My small business consulting is only and always informed by me being an athlete first. Mm. Mm. So it's the other mm. way around. Mm. It's mm. the other way around. I couldn't have done or been able to do the things that I've done without being an athlete. Hmm. I couldn't have. Say more. Tell me more about that. So it's not just the experience of playing at Cal. It's everything of of what sport brought to me. I've always said that soccer has brought me every opportunity, good, bad, ugly, and indifferent. Uh Uh Um, My Uh first passion was being just a kid running around wanting to play outside and play sports. I just happened to be really ridiculously hyper. And my mom was like, oh, my God, what do I do, doc? Took me to the pediatrician, literally. And it's before the drug craze of drugging your kids, right? She was just like, help me. I'm a teacher and can't handle my kid. Mm. And he's like, make her busy. Uh She's intelligent. Make her busy and active. So I literally would run around and you couldn't peel me off of the soccer field. I Mm -hmm. carried a basketball with me everywhere. I went and played volleyball everywhere. I'm from Southern California. Yeah. It's it's always sunny, you know? Mm -hmm. And no matter what, you just... I fell in love with the game of soccer. Mm-hmm. And it was, I loved basketball, but 
being small, I was tiny. My mom called me Mighty Mouse, nicknames Little Bit. That's actually my business company name. I don't know. Yes, I know that. Yes. Oh yeah, because you read my book. But being tiny and fast was an absolute asset in soccer, where it was a detriment in basketball being little. Because mm-hmm. when people would have their hands in my face, I would get really scared. I couldn't even touch them. You know, you think think of the cartoon when someone's putting their hand on someone's forehead and yep. the little kid's trying to swing at them, they can't even reach. That was me playing basketball. <laughs> right. oh my God. If I could just run around them, I would have been fine. But when it came to soccer, I loved the physicality of it. It mm-hmm. allowed me to get my aggression out. Mm. And well, you know this too. You know me well. But I was painfully shy and still am. Mm-hmm. And so soccer was a way for me to express myself without words. So mm-hmm. I can be successful yeah. at something and I didn't have to tell you. I didn't have to talk about myself. I didn't have to answer your question. If I could beat you at something, I would turn around and walk away and just go, okay, sweet. I was the kid that just wouldn't, I wouldn't get in fights. I would fight for my teammates. Yes. Oh, I would ankle biter. I'll chase you down. You're not allowed to score on my teammate. <laughs> but I would never, like, I never talked trash. I was never a kid who got in someone's face. I was the kid that wanted to be on the wall. I was a wallflower. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so soccer allowed me almost to have this alter ego, hmm. you know, where, you know, Beyonce talks about Sasha Fierce, right? Where she's yeah. a different person. <laughs> yeah. And that was kind of me. Like, you know, I'm extraordinarily passionate and an intense person. But when you get to know me, I'm extremely soft hearted. And yes. Doesn't you don't always see that as the athlete or as the business person, but ultimately that was kind of me. It just allowed me to express myself in a different way, and I didn't have to talk about it. No, I love that. I love that you found that. I love you found that at an early age, and as a female, it's so important to be able to have the freedom to express ourselves in different ways Mm -hmm. and not be confined to some societal norm about how it's supposed to be, quote unquote, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like I love that you say everything you do. I think I'm going to go on a limb and say because I think I do know you pretty well small business consultant, athlete transition coach, published author, they've all informed you or you being an athlete has informed that and who you are in life is informed by that also. It's not mm-hmm. just what you do professionally. Yes. I don't think you could ever extract that out of me. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though I haven't competed in how many years, someone asked me fairly recently, I think a couple of weeks ago, I was walking somewhere and this woman goes, I have to ask you something. Did you play soccer? And I said, I just got this big smile on my face. I was like, yes. Because you just carry yourself like a soccer player. Oh, wow. I go, that is a high compliment. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, thank you. You know, and it was just an interesting thing. I just kind of how it went around. She's a little older than me and it was just nice. I mean, it's a compliment to be recognized for something you identified as. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think the top three things are that you learned about yourself and still apply today from playing soccer? Soft skills are not soft. I'll say that repeatedly. Soft skills are not soft. Tell me more. Say more. What does that mean? You know, where where I talk about my, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Like yes. I leave everything on the field. Everything. So, you know me, I'll cry all the time. But like I have tattooed on my arm. It really is tattooed on my arm. The most precious treasure on earth is my heart. And when I share it with you, protect it as if it is your own. Mm. And it's here to remind people that if I let them in this sphere, inside mm. my sphere, you matter to me, your family to me. It's the Italian, mm. familia. Mm. But it's also a reminder of protecting who I put here because I am a person who wears my heart on my sleeve. Yes. I will give everything. I'll leave it all on the field. 
Uh-huh. It's all about the phrase, get stuck in. I get stuck in and everything I choose to do, whether it's relationship, whether it's my businesses, whether it's building friendships and networking, whether it's helping someone, I will be the last person to give up on you. You'll probably give up on yourself first mm. before I give up on you. Mm. Mm. And I think that that has informed me as a therapist in yes. my previous life, as you know. Yes. Yes. Um, it's informed me as a coach of soccer players, right? And a coach of people and yes. a coach of life, right? Like, I just think that you have to bet on yourself mm. and you have to go all in. And I don't know. I mean, you'll get injured if you don't go all in on attack. Mm. So you mm. have to go all in and you may still get hurt, but at least you'll come out of it a little easier than the other person because you just can't. You can't half-ass business. You can't half-ass life, and you can't half-ass love, and you can't half-ass sport. Drop the mic. The end. Bye. We're done. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I, I mean, it's the way I am with friends too. Like you I can't know. half-ass a friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone needs you, show up. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Tell me more about how your past life as a therapist. Like, why did you even do that? Like, I guess. What led you there? And ultimately, what led you to leave it? Like that succession plan that you were talking about. Like, talk to me about that. Born and raised in Southern California. And on the outside, it looked like our, we had one happy family, of course, right? Mm. Stereotypical white family, yep. 2.2 kids and a dog and a cat. Yep. And when I was 12, my dad's sister attempted suicide. Mm. And ended up dying from complications from her suicide attempt. Oh. About six months after that. I was 12 years old. And then I also had a grandmother, my father's mother, who was very racist and said really, really vile things. She's from the South. And we did not get along. She and I did not get along. And she didn't like me. She thought I was too boyish, too masculine. So, you know, imagine knowing in some way that you're different already. Before I knew I was gay, I was being told I was a bad human. Uh, And uh that I was Uh not going to, you know, even though I was highly intelligent, that I wasn't pretty enough or I wasn't girlish enough or Uh calling me a tomboy and it wasn't compliment. And so I had these experiences at a young age. And then then a teammate and friend of mine became severely anorexic and, and bulimic. And I remember watching her go through that. And that was very painful. So you have these very formative years at a very young age of extraordinary adult concepts being thrown at me. That's right. And so I was, and and again, a very sensitive, highly emotional kid who didn't talk a lot and absorbed energy a lot. Right. And there's certain things because my mom ends up listening to some of my podcasts. So I'll refrain from sharing certain pieces. But growing up wasn't easy, let's just say that. And my mom get along a lot better now, but things were not easy. So I had always known that I wanted two things. One, I felt during that period of time, because my friends were talking to me a lot and asking me for help, I was like, well, I can help people by becoming a therapist. I remember telling my mom when I was 12, I said, I want to be a child psychologist. And she goes, well, I'll believe you if you can spell it. So I proceeded to spell it. P-S-I-C-H-O-L-O-G-I-S-T. And then I also said, oh, and I'm going to at some point come and live near Laguna Beach, like grandpa's hometown. And I remember it was a very distinct conversation that she and I had. And so I pursued with a vigor psychology since I was a kid. 
because I was fascinated by how could people who are good people become bad and how could mm. good people hurt themselves. Yeah. And also yeah. why I left it because I had to save the life of a 12-year-old girl, not 12, excuse me, 16-year-old girl who had attempted suicide mm-hmm. and was at her high school bleeding out and the adults who I had just done the IEP with two weeks prior did not call 911. They left her bleeding on the floor thinking she was kidding. And they called me instead. And I'm 29 years old and I had to do 12 hours of life-saving stuff to save a kid. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's why I left it. So yeah. very trauma-informed life that I lived and the work that I did as an in-home therapist required me to go through a lot of therapy on my own. Yeah afterwards to manage what I witnessed and saw because I was not a couch therapist, as I tell people. Yeah. I was in the trenches. I've had guns drawn on me. I've been in drug dens and drug houses. I've had SWAT teams break into houses thinking I'm part of the process of people getting drugs and I'm oh. arrested on the side of the road. And then I can laugh about it. But one of my clients is like, that's <laughs> the next thing you know, I'm sitting with my hands handcuffed as a 25-year-old kid. Looks like I'm 12, and I, I'm 25 years old. And the cop's like, you've got to be joking that you're a therapist. And I'm like, no, I really am a therapist. She just goes it. So confidentiality's out. So can you please call my dispatch and take the handcuffs off me? <laughs> like, I know officer so-and-so and sergeant so-and-so. And they're like, you've got to be joking. And I'm like, no, I'm really not. Then they had to call, and they had to uncuff me. You know, I mean, I've seen a lot. And I, I mean... When I started doing a lot of work with gang kids in Oakland, even doing internships, and I was teaching diversity training to ages 7 to 18 years old with a man who had just gotten back from the Iraq war. And Bruce and I, he's a heterosexual African-American man who's veteran, and then I'm an open lesbian who's white Uh and a soccer player, and we created diversity training for kids in in Oakland, very young age, 18, 19 years old. I was working in the trenches in the cities and in certain ways where a lot of people didn't have that kind of experience. And so at 29, I was done. I was done. I was out. Right. I mean, what stands out for me is, is a young kid experiencing trauma. Mm -hmm. Anyone at that age would not have the capacity yet to manage that. If ever it's very overstimulating. And then Mm -hmm. you're, you're more of an emotional like person and like like you say you wear your heart on your sleeve so then it like impacts you even more immensely mm-hmm. you go into a field wanting to help mm-hmm. and then you're traumatized vicariously by all that's going on around you if not directly like the stories you just said mm-hmm. and then almost to sort of save your own life you need to leave the mm-hmm. field and be in the, you were in the trenches you did it was you weren't like four walls and a door type therapist Mm-hmm. I think that you are a first responder. Mm-hmm. I mean, you lived that life as highly traumatic. You had to perform. Mm-hmm. You had to like pretend like it was okay. You had to pretend that who, what you felt didn't matter because you're taking care of everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like Kim and I will go on records like, don't ever do this, people. If you want to be a therapist, let's figure out a different way. Right. Um, like, does it have to be this way? This is unfortunately how it happened for Kim. And now Mm -hmm. she's not doing it. And look, she's thriving in other areas, still helping people. So there's different ways to show up in your gifts. Mm -hmm. We try different things. We see how they feel and then we pivot. So I think that even though that was as hard as it was, you wouldn't be the person that you are without that experience. And 
it's like brought you now to all these other iterations of who you are. So I know you. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you do what you do. It's just Thank it's you. really awesome. Thank you. I don't, I don't always go that deep, but I know in your podcast I can because I know you. Yeah. Yes. A lot of people can't handle that information. And talking about suicide is a very big deal right now for athletes. And so, you know, it, that's part of the reason why I have to to decline things. People will ask me to do more talks on things. I said, I can't re-traumatize myself. There's quite a skill to be able to say no, that just because you're good at something doesn't mean it's good for you. Yes. Yes. So that's a lesson for anyone listening that just because you're good at it, if it doesn't fill you up too, then that may not be the right pathway for you anymore. And it's okay to shift and pivot and learn to dance in a different way. So valuable. So, so valuable. Because when someone says you're good at it, or maybe you realize it, that's an external evaluation of who you are and what makes you feel good is an internal evaluation, right? They have to be in line. Yes. They have to be in line. So if you're good at it and you like it, cool. But that's for you to determine, not anybody else, Mm -hmm. because you're in it and living it. And so anybody can benefit from that message. So important. So, so Mm -hmm. important. And and thank you for trusting me in this space to open up. Because as you know, as we speak right now on September 21st, 2023, that it is right now National Suicide Prevention Month. So the fact that we are actually talking about it, Mm -hmm. I think there's a bigger, I don't know, energy in our space to now, today right now that we yeah. can actually talk about it. For sure. For sure. And I, I have a tattoo on me too. It's wrapped around my core and it's a Walt Whitman quote and it says, re-examine all that you've been told. Dismiss that which insults your soul. Girl, I got them I, all. I was saying, oh my. If my it girl. longer serves you, let it go. Please. It. Please. Please. Because we need you but the stuff has to be let go in order for the you to come back out. Yes. yes. That's right. That's right. That's right. You have, in my opinion, a diverse experience with different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. You're an Italian-American, white woman, gay identified. But in my opinion, I feel like you flow in and out of so many spaces, can connect mm-hmm. with a whole bunch of people. Mm-hmm. What do you think lends to that? What is it in your life or experience that lends you to be able to flow within different spaces that maybe don't look like you or like people say like, she's white, so she can't come in here. But then she opens her mouth, starts talking like, oh, okay, wait, she's an ally. I get it. Like, <laughs> how does that happen? How did that develop? Or yeah, tell me about that. Well, first, I want to say thank you that you called me an ally because being called an ally mm-hmm. has to come from someone else. It is not a label I get to place on myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very important, especially as a white person. Any white person is doing anti-racism work or anti-bias work. That is not a label you get to place on yourself. That's Mm. a position. Mm -hmm. And someone else has to give that to you. And you need to honor that every time you're given that. Secondly, how I come to that place is by walking into spaces or three spaces as a woman, as a white woman, as a person who identifies as a lesbian and has for 30 some odd years now, this isn't new to me. Uh Uh Um, I don't like being called queer. So I like when people have conversation with me about that because I am of the generation that that bothers me. Uh I identify the community wants those labels because they are quote unquote more encompassing for people, but it wasn't how I grew up. 
Yep. So for me, it's understanding and appreciating the value of an immigrant experience with my grandparents being uh-huh. generation Italians and being discriminated against. It's about learning their stories and why they came here. It's about being gay and traversing being accepted and not being accepted within my family, not within my family, things like that. It's the experience of saying I went from Southern California to Northern California and I hated history in high school and I needed to fulfill a history requirement and I had options. I could see things in a bigger lens. And so I took a Chicana studies class and I took a Native American studies class and I took an African-American studies class and I fell in love with my professors. And they were like, Kim, you just have this thing about learning. And and where did you get it? And I said, that's the thing. It's called learning. It's about being open to other people's experiences. And so if I want someone to accept me for who I am, I must learn how to accept others who have different experiences than I do. It's been an ongoing process. I mean, I'm turning 51. I certainly didn't have the language then as I do now to be able Mm -hmm. to articulate it and look back on that. But even as a kid, when I was trying to come out at 17 years old in college, I was always drawn to people who were mistreated or oppressed in some way. And uh-huh. I was like, look, if I want to be treated with the same rights and responsibilities, I need to raise other people up around me. So I need to learn. I need to unlearn the crap that I had learned and then embrace and learn new things. And I certainly have made my own share of sticking my feet in my mouth. And I don't know, I don't know all the languages. Of course, there's over 200 languages spoken in our country, let alone, yes. you know, there's not just one population of people. And so recognizing that and just seeing the beauty in the, in the human existence is what makes us exist. I love that. So, yeah. No, I appreciate it. And as a brown identified woman, calling you an ally is a no brainer. I mean, I think that the way that you talk about it, your humility, like you understand where you sit and where you don't sit, that's important. So, you know, we need more allies and, and let's just duplicate you a thousand times and we're all good. <laughs> <laughs> and I think just the being of marginalized communities doesn't have to just be about race. No. And so that, that experience is the same. Being the odd man out, being discriminated against, not being seen fully for who you are goes across different um, mm-hmm. communities that under, are underrepresented and, and aren't seen fully for who they are. Mm-hmm. And I think that like the generational stuff is really important. We've talked about this. Like my daughter, who's 16 and came out to us at age 11, she identifies as queer, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so like the language, even within a culture, yes, changes over time, evolves. Mm-hmm. And so respecting what people want to be called and they have the power to do that and we follow mm-hmm. in suit. So thank you for all of that. I want to shift gears just a little bit. If someone wanted to access your expertise as an athlete transition coach, what would they be going through per se? And what would be the first couple steps that you would take to help them? First thing is, is don't be afraid to ask, Mm -hmm. right? Every single one of us who compete at some point know that we're no longer going to be able to compete at that level. We know it inherently, but we don't want to know when the end in sight is, right? And I think I feel very lucky that when I came up and competed, I wasn't in this arena of social media. I'm really grateful for that, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. I chose mm-hmm. because both sides, I built my business on that. But 
when you talk about the steps to ending a career and into a new space when the only identity that you know is this thing, like I'm a soccer player, right? Yeah. This woman at 50s, like, you look like a soccer player. And I was like, yeah, where we know I just had emergency back surgery. I'm not even allowed to work out right now. So, so being able to recognize that our identities, multiple identities that we uh-huh. aren't all defining. And so being able to go, who are you if you can't compete? What else do you enjoy if you didn't have this? Who are uh-huh. you? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's the beginning of, of peeling back the onion and finding that all of these pieces matter. I'm a woman, I'm a lesbian, I'm a daughter, I'm an aunt, I'm a business owner, I'm an author, I'm an athlete. That's right. The multitude of identities that I carry. And ultimately, I love when people go, how do you define yourself? I'm Kim. Right. That's like the best start. Right. You know, like right. My name is Kim, let's go right. from there. Yes. And so there's so many more complexities to who we are as human beings. And when we live in a land of two dimension of social media, and here's the presentation that we want people to see, but we're not letting other people see other passions and excitements and things that you're interested in. You can have a hobby and it can be weird. Yeah. Who cares? (laughs) You know, like I love to cook and I want to become a polyglot. I've told you that I want to. Yes. Yes. Uh, Every night I practice my French right now. I'm practicing French. That's my most, I have a better intermediate understanding of French than any other language aside from English. And so that's what I have to practice first. So when I become more fluent in that, then I can add more because when you try to do, I want to be French, Italian, and Spanish, and they're all of the same Latin base, but they have things that are similar, but you end up messing up the words if you do too many at once. So I really need to practice more with my French. So I'm the kid that literally is watching something on Instagram from a French woman who's translating certain conversational things as a Parisian in New York. And then I'm doing Duolingo while I'm watching you know, some political thing because I need to stay up on current events so that I don't look like an idiot around people who are smarter than me. And like, I'm just this girl, right? And like, at the same time, I'm the person that's going to be in a sweatshirt and watching sports with you every single day. Uh-huh. Of the week. Like, uh-huh. I just think we all need to allow that part of you as an athlete to come out and recognize that you're not losing the athlete part of you in transition, you're just adding to who you are to be more multidimensional and letting all those pieces come out that you couldn't do because you were so focused for so long on being who you were as a competitive athlete. And so it really is, how do you want to show up and how do I help you get to that place of existence and honoring all the pieces of you? No, it's beautiful and, and so important. I think it's undervalued. Even the athletes I work with, that they're like, well, if I start to develop these other identities, does that mean um, my coaches are going to think I'm taking my sport and my role on this team seriously? Like that I am now not as focused or committed to my primary job because I'm, you know, looking into other other identities. And I know you have an answer to that, but I'm just like, well, if I only did my job, I'd be boring and I'd be like super like understimulated and underwhelmed. Mm-hmm. You can't just do your job, mm-hmm. especially I'm just talking about professional athletes right now. Sure. But there's other levels of athletes who feel like they're cheating or they're under committing to, their, to that identity. 
So if that comes up, I know you're smiling because it probably has. How do you handle that? Or what is the sort of place that you support folks around in that spot? I believe just like if I was only informed with white history, how limited my view of the world is. Mm. I'm only informed of understanding how to be the best person, athlete, whatever that I'm doing in my primary role. The only information that I receive is solely from my one sport, how one-dimensional I would be. So I love tennis. Tennis to me is my favorite sport behind soccer. And here's because the level of physical fitness required to compete at the highest level and be so present every single point, every single stroke against that player you're competing against requires the most utmost mental fortitude that I don't even have the capacity to do. So why wouldn't I study tennis players to understand the mindset of how they become so physically fit as well as how do they stay so present in the moment? Because Uh as a soccer player, even though it happens instantaneously, I make a bad pass and I'm remembering it three, four, five minutes down the game when they're mm-hmm. the pass is happening. Mm-hmm. And I need to learn from that. So I want people to be informed by other dimensions, other ways of viewing the world. Because if you can take something, I like to say soccer's chess and pool and geometry at the same time. Mm-hmm. Understand mm-hmm. math. And you understand angles and you understand geometry, yes. velocity and pace and width and texture on a pass. You right. can think about that and apply that in geometric perspectives and see things in an analytical way. And you can geek out on that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Not look at sport from a multi subject matter way, right? Mm-hmm. And we all are are impacted by multiple adults in our lives, multiple teachers, multiple coaches, multiple mentors, right? So we have to open ourselves up to that. And if you have a coach who says you're not doing your job, are you showing up on time? Are you doing your recovery? Are you eating healthy? Are you doing all those things? That's doing your job. Right. If you're choosing other things that help you turn off something because our tanks get depleted. We have to replenish ourselves. Mm -hmm. So you also just can't burn something that's no longer there. You have to, you also have to somehow replenish yourself. And some of that is turning off, full chill, not training, going, working out every single day is not always healthy peeps. Sorry. No No days off is bullshit. Yep. No days off is bullshit. I'll say it again for people. Stop with this mindset that that's not a healthy mindset. It's just not. It doesn't mean that you can't go for a walk and enjoy nature. It doesn't have to be at pace and doing it for distance. Right. Okay. Doesn't mean that you, you know, go play, go play volleyball and suck at it. Go bring a ball out with a little kid or go play fetch with your dog. Right. You're still doing something active, but it takes your brain off of it and it lets your brain do what it needs to do, which is, synthesize and integrate data, right? So you can't do your sport all the time. You should be looking at other things because you're going to fine tune things and you're going to find muscles and nerves and neurons and 
channel all of that differently. We're we're a massive complex system as a human being. So For tap sure. into all of it. For sure. And you might find when you do that, mm-hmm. you actually enjoy your support your sport more in different mm-hmm. ways and mm-hmm. actually perform at a different level because mm-hmm. you're diversifying how you relate to it. Yeah. And taking taking that break, like you said. There are a lot of people who are specialists, right? But that yep. doesn't mean that that's the only thing they do. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. I know you're a published author. It's amazing and awesome. So yeah. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. We we are again part of another club together of your books. Leave us with a little bit of either one. <laughs> That's funny. I said that on purpose too. I know you did. <laughs> Of either one of your books, leave us with some more gems, if we could even add more into this space, into this time, of what to expect from those books. You know, leave us a teaser of why we might want to go out and get them. So I'll start with the collaborative project first and I'll end with mine. Yes. The collaborative project is, I was invited to be a part of a collaborative project called Forever Athlete. And it's 18 forever athletes, not former athletes. All of us are going to carry that athlete spirit and that athlete personality into our lives. Uh Especially when we've devoted years and years and years to to showing that excellence that we have. And so some people's experiences are not always positive. And how do you come out of that experience and still stay true to you? So there's different authors in there that share some difficult stories, which I think is valuable. So it's not just it's not just a a a positive experience. It's it's really honing in on on the collective athlete experience. And not everything's easy. The behind the scenes things that can happen, the hard things that can happen. And then it's also you know what is your identity outside of your sport? It really does Mm -hmm. tap into that transition that you and I. And what's important about what are my next steps? Who am I? Love how it. do I develop this? And how do I impact that? My chapter is about my coming out and my experience at Cal and how that informed me of being the athlete that I am. Uh-huh. And, and so that's what Forever Athlete's about. I love it. book is entitled Get Stuck In, Lessons from the Pitch to Build Your Business. Yep. And as we talked about, I do things 100% when I choose to do them. Yes. But I was prodded and pushed to write this book. You and I talked about this offline before we started this. I tend to downplay things because I don't realize the impact they have on others. Uh And I don't necessarily, it's not that I don't think I'm a good person. Like I have a healthy enough self-esteem to know that I'm a good human being. I'm kind and I'm passionate. I can say very good things about who I am as a person, but I don't necessarily think the things that I've accomplished are necessarily all these big accomplishments because I do what almost all of us do, which is compare ourselves to others who are bigger, faster, stronger than us. And so Uh I've never been an Olympian. I've never been paid to play soccer. I was never on the women's national team. So for the longest time, I never saw myself as an elite athlete. And then I'd meet people and they're like, you've got to be kidding. You had a four-year scholarship to play at Cal and you were a starter. And Exactly. And I was like, well, so was everyone else next to me. And then I was competing against all these other. And so again, it's the comparison syndrome and that it negates certain things. And so even getting this book written was really from my friends 
telling me, and there's a story of me crying in my martini in San Francisco with my friend who is a dear friend of mine who speaks 10 languages, no less. Wow. And he's brilliant. And he and I work together in Cal and he is a Choctaw Comanche Indian and the chair of ethnic studies at San Francisco State. Really dumb guy. Just Yeah. Yeah. Um, Very dumb. And he was like, come and visit. You're having a hard time. I know you sold your business. Get up here. What's going on? And it was during COVID and just after when you were allowed to see things or just before. It was one of the two where I was still, we were still allowed to see each other inside of a restaurant. He had to go do a lecture and and needed to talk to me for lunch. And then he had to come back. So it was like, you sit sat there and he's like, why don't you think that your story isn't impactful for other people? How dare you? And I would just like start crying. I'm getting yelled at by my friend, you know, and he's like, drink a martini and here's a piece of paper and start writing out your story. Wow. And I was like, okay. We, he calls me mommy. I call him poppy. I'm like, okay, poppy. And I'm just crying in my martini and started writing it out. And then I had people who really were like, do you not realize like the things you write online, how impactful it is? And mm-hmm. my friend goes, you know, where you can scroll. And he goes, but every time I come by you, I don't scroll past. I read everything you write. And so that was, it was really my, it's not a memoir per se. It's the 10 years of why did I leave corporate America? Why did I create the company that I built when I thought I wanted to build a coffee shop? And the process of bringing entrepreneurship to the, the underdog. It's not having multi-million dollar venture capitalists. It's about saying, yes, I have an idea. I have a concept. I can monetize it. And I can build something that matters. And so it's my story of building that. And that's really try to put tips and tricks and the ups and downs. And it truly is from a person who's started, scaled, and sold her own company. Uh-huh. And come to find out, I realized that that is a very elite place to be too. So that's what my book is about. I love it. I love it. And I have read that book. I need to read the chapter in Forever Athlete. Maybe the whole book, probably. But what I appreciate about your book is, yes, all the tricks, tips, and and insights. But for me, and I don't know if this is just what I value or like what is the rhythm of it, Mm. the rhythm of it. Like you have to read it to understand. And so I, I encourage everyone to go pick it up. There's something about the way that you connect what happened to what is happening to what will happen. And mm-hmm. that rhythm, it's so, it's not linear. So there, there's no, a, it's not linear. no, there's a vibe. There's a vibe there that I really appreciate it because it makes then the lessons and tips just that much more alive and like digestible for a reader like me. And I'm sure I'm not alone. So I encourage you. everyone, you're welcome to pick it up. I know that Kim offers 15 minute free consultations. Vibe her, you're vibing her now. It's always free to talk to me. I yeah. will make time to talk with you. Do this for yourself. <laughs> Do this for yourself. Make it a priority to talk to Kim. And if she can't help, I know I know she will find someone who can't. That's just mm-hmm. who she is. Mm-hmm. And so if you are tentative or trepidatious about talking about your, your story, how you're feeling about your athletic identity, just who you are and how you show up, why not just start with the first 15 minutes and we'll go from there. And so I speak from my own experience in referring people very close to me to Kim to actually 
talk about their transitions, whether it be with business and or as an athlete. And it's I've only hear raving reviews, so it just encourages me and gives me confidence to keep doing that. And so I will. And you know, I highly recommend her. And let's keep like helping people. That's what we're about. Helping people, listening to people, validating people, honoring mm-hmm. them in their space, not judging them. And mm-hmm. I think when you have lived experience that you can bring to your work, it's just mm-hmm. that much more special. So I'm honored to be your friend. I'm honored to do this work together in our areas of expertise. And I look forward to more super cool rad moments with you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy I had the courage to reach out to you and geek out on you and find you on LinkedIn. You're so wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate you beyond the world. (laughs) Thank you. Athlete Mindset is part of the CadSource Podcast Network. At CadSource, we love podcasts. In fact, we love building podcasts, everything from development to production. Because of all that, we're growing this one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you by searching CazSource on your social media app of choice. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network, the CazSource Podcast Network.